Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. I am very excited for you to meet my guest tonight, Hannah, because uh, it's a very fun connection, actually. I feel very old saying this, but I used to babysit her husband. And he and his brothers grew up across the street from me. And I mean, if you had told me back then as a junior higher walking across to, you know, babysit the the boys across the street that, well, someday you're going to be talking with his wife on a podcast (laughs) to impact women around the world (laughs) just would have been a really um, shocking revelation at that time. So Hannah, thank you so much for being here. And before we dive into your story, I was hoping you would introduce yourself to the listeners and tell them just a a glimpse of your life right now. Yes. Thank you, Jessica, so much for having me. My name is Hannah Perry O'Connor, and I am 34 years old, living out in Hawaii on Oahu with my husband, Chris, and uh, we have five children between the ages of seven and four and a half months now. And we're homeschooling, trying that out and enjoying the process. And I'm homemaking, you know, trying to figure that out too. (laughs) Figure out being a wife, learning as we go. Learning as you go. That I I think that's a phrase that a lot of women (laughs) will relate to that are probably in the middle of that right now. Uh, Certainly many moms I know that have multiple children kind of can relate to that phrase, learning as we go. But that phrase can go with anything, whether it's your career life, your spiritual life, uh, maybe a marriage, maybe motherhood, maybe just relationships, moving, travel, all the things you kind of go one step at a time. Gosh, I even remember back as, you know, there's so much more to the introduction of how I know you because you used to volunteer in my first grade classroom right. back in Santa Barbara yes. and it's like all yes. the stories. <laughs> yes. And now, now you have five of your own and you're teaching them. So I love it. And I thoroughly appreciate you taking time to do this because hopefully everyone just realized, oh my goodness, five kids between the ages of seven and four and a half months. How does she have time to tell her story? So <laughs> that awesome boy you babysat in there. Yes. <laughs> Good job, Chris. Thank you for being yes. a great dad. <laughs> hey, thank you for sewing into him all your love. <laughs> but yeah, those, you know, those junior high babysitting years so much impact. But I think so. It's, I'll, oh, it's that special. Thank you. <laughs> well, Hannah, I, you know, we, before we started recording, I said something and I want all the listeners to hear this is you, to me, in my opinion, you are such the poster child for one of the purposes behind story night. And one of those purposes is that we're, we're pulling back the curtain to look at women for who they really are and, and the story God writes in their lives and not just what we see on the surface. And we're, all of us are so guilty of that, right? We, we see a woman, we see the surface and we make these judgments. We make these assumptions Maybe we we think something negatively, or we think something so positively that we're we're like jealous. Um, you know, we compare ourselves. If you you know, listeners, I know this is audio, but if you saw a photo of Hannah and her husband and her five kids, you'd see these tan, blonde, beautiful people who live in Hawaii, and it just is so easy to make the assumption that oh, they have it all perfect. Like life is just so easy for them. 
they have it all, right? And and in many ways, and you do have it all in the sense that you have God, but mm. certainly your life was not just sunshine and rainbows every day of your life. So we're going to go back. We're going to start at the beginning of your story, learn a little bit about your childhood and the road that God took you on to finally get you where you are today. So Hannah, will you tell us your story? (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California, um, down in San Diego, and uh, my parents split up when I was in kindergarten. So I remember you know, learning where you had to restate, where is your address? And I remember thinking, I know the answer, but I know we're moving, you know, just all the questions inside, just kind of internalizing that and um, processing as I grew that divorce. And I think, you know, it's so common in this day and age divorce, but I think too, it's a lot for children to process, at least me. And that was something as I got older that I really wanted to deal with and not look over like, oh, that's no big deal. Cause I grew up bouncing around, you know, seeing my dad on a weekly basis, um, but on, you know, weekends and growing up with a single mom in the house most of the time and a stepmom that entered into my life. And it is a blessed journey, but it was definitely challenging at times. I remember thinking my life feels like a movie (laughs) at times, like, like in the day to day, sometimes I'm just like, is this for real? (laughs) And I mean, it wasn't that crazy, but it's just kind of how I perceived it growing up and Let's see, uh, entered into high school and played softball and cheer- was a cheerleader like you, Jessica. Really, I mean, my friends after school would bring me into their homes. Their parents would bring me in since my mom was working as a single mom, making ends meet. And they, you know, bring me into their extracurricular activities, just hanging out, you know, end up in the partying type crowd and drinking and oh, if you drink too much, just throw it up. That's what I was told. And that led to food and then bulimia and, you know, body image issues, just feeling unworthy and wanting to fit in. And again, meals at home were um, just few and far between in the family setting with everyone being so tired, a single parent. And, you know, I just, I don't remember family meals as a highlight in my life. And thinking back, I was fed. I was never starving. <laughs> and I don't I won't, don't want to say I, you know, fended for myself and did it all on my own by any means. But just now as a grown woman, noticing how wonderful that time is and all the precious families that brought me in to their table, I'm just so grateful because I was able to see really healthy family and what that looks like and what does a conversation around the table look like and why does that matter? You know, when I was growing up, it really didn't. I didn't understand the weight of those simple moments. So yeah, just super grateful for those families and hoping that we can be the same in our home with the door open and neighbors, friends, family, just be welcome, you know, on the spot and not have to have it all planned out because I know if people had it all planned out, I don't know where I'd be if they didn't just bend and, you know, in the uncomfortable moments, just invite me in and I'm grateful. But it's kind of in a nutshell. Yeah. And you said something that I hope doesn't just go in one ear and out the other to our listeners, because there are so many that maybe think that inviting somebody in for a meal isn't a big deal and it doesn't right. make a difference and it's not impactful. And there are so many who think, well, if I can't do it like a Pinterest board, then I shouldn't do it. At right. All. If right. I can't invite right. somebody into this home and it's all beautiful and gorgeous with a home cooked meal and everyone's, you know, if it's not pretty and perfect, then I right. should try. And your story just screams that that's not the case. 
that those meals and that hospitality goes so mm-hmm. far. Oh, that's such a good point. And it reminds me of my adopted great grandmother who passed away last year. And I remember her just servitude, like you just said, living in a trailer and you know, in her later years, shopping off coupons and whatever food she had, she made it feel like a king's table. And I'll never forget that. You know, the cheese she had, maybe from the dollar store, she cut in a heart shape with a knife. I mean, she took her time. And I know we can't all do that. (laughs) But it was like, oh my gosh, like the food was not Pinterest. (laughs) But it was like the heart behind it was out of this world. And I just will never forget that. And I think that just goes to what you just said. The heart is like all that matters. It's not really, you know, the stuff in the physical comes and goes. But yeah, just so grateful for those moments of being invited in, despite how people even feel, you know, maybe they're going out on a limb. and Maybe we are too these days, like not knowing, you know, like for me, it's like kids that come over. Oh, do your parents know you're here? (laughs) But it's like, I don't know, to feed a child is like a gift to have them feel like family for that moment. and definitely want the okay of parents <laughs> but you know at the same time it's like what's the heart is it fear is it faith and yeah day-to-day learning and probably just kind of like we were saying you know in that moment it wasn't necessarily that that one meal turned your life around in 24 hours but these are seeds being planted you know so we so we've kind of let we left your story for a moment in your you know school years and you mentioned having an eating disorder and yeah. that, you know, you know, maybe what these families did to serve you didn't change that overnight, but it certainly fed into your life. And we're going to see that play out as your story goes on. So why don't you pick it back up kind of from that point and, and tell us how your journey and eventual healing came about. Yeah, that was just a struggle, you know, more in the isolated moments, like being around people, I think you forget, right? In a sense, um, I think it's when we isolate in our focus, at least for me on myself, that, you know, it's like not a good place because there's nothing good in and of myself. So whether that's an eating disorder or whatever, you know, like looking inward, unless it's to the Lord, you know, inside of us, it's like, where am I going to go? And But yeah, being around friends, that was definitely healing. And then I just remember, you know, I was in and out of church going with my mom was always a gift, but I didn't really have a big group of friends that I went with or any friends really till later in high school, we started going together with some friends. And I just remember one day, one day being with friends and like going up to the altar, if you will, to the front, like getting down on my face, like, God, I need help with this. Like, I can't do it in my own strength. I can't heal myself. I can't deliver myself. I can't change myself. Like I need help. And I just remember it like shortly after going off to college and, you know, in college, you're surrounded living on campus by other people and by, you know, a dining commons where we can eat together. And that was such a healthy change that I believe he orchestrated because I didn't know what my major would be or what I was doing, <laughs> you know, in school, um, academic wise, I was trying to figure that out too. But I honestly was like delivered going up and moving, you know, getting out of the apartment that I'd grown up in with my mom where she didn't even probably know this was going on because she's working so hard and not around all the time. And yeah, just going up to college was definitely kind of like the catalyst for that healing to take place and just being around people, getting involved in the Bible study. I just didn't go back to that old habit, if you will, or it was pretty like pretty, uh, I don't want to say 
instant or but it was like a quick you know after asking god for help and moving it was like yeah no turning back just moving forward into healthy eating and i still was you know concerned with body image i think that's been a gradual acceptance of who i am in christ like who he's made me to be and not trying you know when you don't have a big family to tell you who you are or what you're supposed to look like you're trying to figure it out in the world like <laughs> am i supposed to look like her or what you know or maybe that's just a human nature i don't know so I think that's been more gradual as far as like, okay, like I, I moved up to school, was exercising all the time, trying to look a certain way and eat super healthy. And it's like, okay, this is still very self-centered, but the bulimia, which, uh, you know, was an issue in high school, wasn't an issue anymore. So I'm grateful for that. But then it was this slow, like, okay, bread's healthy. You don't need to not eat like carbs and all, you know. All those kind of things of desserts and just like be, you know, normalizing eating has been a journey. And yeah, I'm still on a journey, like, <laughs> but I think that's part of humanity. And there's so many things that in and of themselves aren't necessarily bad, but they can become right. an idol. Right. And healthy eating and exercise and anything related to wellness. Absolutely. I mean, I, I personally believe that God gave us these physical bodies and he wants us to take care right. of them. And right. he wants us, you know, physical health is important and right. something to strive for, but it can, it can take the place of God in our lives. It can right. become this obsession or it can become an unhealthy yeah. idol for, for lack of better right. word. And that right. happens to so many people. Right. And become like an isolation thing again. If mm -hmm. I don't eat, you know, food is so communal. Like if we're mm -hmm. sharing it, we're taking part in something like, yeah, it's, you're doing that together. And I think, you know, when you eat a certain way, whether whatever diet, it can become isolating and just back into that same, you know, <laughs> in a different, it looks different, but it has that same result, you know, when it becomes about me and myself and what I'm doing. But like you said, it's. It's, I'm not saying I figured it out by any means. Like we said, our bodies are to be taken care of and good food is good. So, yeah. Well, yeah. and when you, you, you pointed out that word isolation, I know many women will relate to this. I know once the enemy knows what he can use against you, yeah. he'll use, he'll just repackage it in 15 different ways over your life. If you sort of conquer it one aspect of your life, it's very easy for him to come. Oh, well, let me do it this way. And I'm going to take this isolation issue and I'm just going to keep repackaging it and throwing it at you at different chapters of your life. But I mean, thankfully we have a God who's bigger than that and can heal and restore and redeem no matter how it's packaged and thrown at you as you are, you know, moving through your, through your life, your teen years into your college years that isolation still sort of threatening. Mm -hmm. Eventually there is going to, you know, there's this turning point. So take us, take us through. Yeah. So I just, um, you know, had a good time going off to college after high school is grateful for the opportunity, but really didn't know academically career wise, what is this leading to? What am I going to end up doing? And when it came to the point of taking out loans and having to pay, you know, out of pocket myself to finish my education, I just really had to think hard about it and end up just kind of like being like, okay, I'm all in Lord. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. It can't pay these loans back myself. Like, I don't even know what career I'll end up with. And 
I ended up transferring to another school, private Christian school in the same town, kind of thinking that was my all in of like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I want to know more about God. Just ended up praying and fasting. And that ended with an open vision of just seeing God's power um, in a way I'd never seen before. And he showed me things that were like desires of my heart um, in such a special way that gave me hope and faith for the future, not even having to have it all figured out. And I remember at that time he was paying, I say he was, cause I don't know how it happened, but I'd get bills and I'd have like to the cent that amount in my account and like be able to pay my bill. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking through everything mentally trying to, well, what does God's word say about loans? And, you know, just, you know, trying to do it all mental strength. And it just like, I was stressing, but like looking back, it's like he was providing to the set and it wasn't far in advance. It was like when I needed it and just learning like, oh my gosh, I can trust him. But like, yet the flesh is so weak and like, so fragile. Like, <laughs> Still like just trying to mentally, the mental ascent, trying to have it all figured out and never could, but that vision gave me some hope. And it still does. Like it's still profound moment. Um, just knowing, okay, God is real. I can trust him. He's my father in heaven. And I always kind of wondered because my dad was never a believer and didn't teach me that my mom became a believer after they were married. And I just kind of, yeah, had that, that, um, revelation for myself that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life he is who he says he is. When you say you have a vision, yeah. so many of us have heard that phrase. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a lot of us have experienced that. And honestly, I think mm-hmm. a lot of us almost take a step back when you hear something like that. It sounds mm-hmm. maybe, I don't know, hard to wrap our minds around because yeah. if we've never experienced it, it just, I don't know, for lack of better terms, it sounds kind of strange. Like, what, yeah. what do you mean? What did you, and when you very first told me about this, like you, you described it, you told me, I, mm. I could picture it in my head, like a movie mm. where mm. you were walking, partly because I know the, the area, I know the campus, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. like where you were walking, what you saw, what happened. And, and the women I've talked with who have experienced something like this, it kind of, it's kind of few and far between, mm. and it's very personal and it's very special. And a lot of them are very they're almost a little hesitant to explain it because yeah. it's, it sort of sounds crazy. It sort of sounds yeah. like- Well, I've already what? been called crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sentimental hospital. So I don't have to worry about that. Well, <laughs> because because of where your because of where your your chapter goes, like after yeah. this moment, I think if right. you don't mind sort of painting that picture for the listeners, because yeah. I think there's so much context to what you yeah. end up going through afterward. Yeah. Okay, so money's getting tight. I'm being squeezed. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to graduate with as far as a degree. And I don't know what job I'm going to get to pay back this money. So I decide to take a year off and go to city college or take however long off and kind of figure it out. Because in my mind, college is how you figure things out. That's what I was told. <laughs> so I keep, okay, I'll go to city college where it's much cheaper and I can kind of figure it out. And so I decide to wrap things up at the private school and they cut off my meal plan a week before I was done with my finals and I was finishing finals and moving out. And I thought, great, what a great time to fast and pray. Cause I don't know what's next. I don't know what I'm doing. Don't know if I should move back home to go to city college or stay here. So I ended up fasting and praying being kind of like still living on campus, but not having the ability to, to go eat. Um, <laughs> so it was a really a good way to fast because there wasn't a lot of temptation. I couldn't go. And, and I didn't have a car to go off campus. 
the time. So yeah, I'm trying to, and I don't know if that was a fluke or how that happened because I don't think they would have meant that for that to happen. But yeah, I just, I remember my minding. I, yeah, I was stressed out and I wasn't drinking a ton of water. I probably should have been drinking more water. I was still trying to spend time with friends when I wasn't studying and went on a, a hike. And I just remember thinking, this is too much. Like I haven't been drinking much water or eating like physically pushing myself too hard at the time. And, um, but yeah, I just kept like seeking the Lord, like getting under my bed and I looked like a nut to my blessed roommate and she would testify. (laughs) But yeah, I was just like, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how do I get out of this? Like chaos of not knowing, you know, in my young life and not feeling like I had good support at home to rely on. So I went for another walk up the hill and I had my headphones in and I remember just staring at the sun, questioning things, to be honest, like, okay, why do people like, and this is so not scientific, but like, why do people say, don't look at the sun? I remember my mom always saying that. And I think of the sun, it's the light, like the son of God is the light of the world. I'm just looking at the sun, kind of like trying to let fear dissipate. Like, I don't want to be af- like afraid. I'm staring at the sun. It just opened, it kind of became black. I don't know. There's something about the retina, I'm sure, where it like the light became black for a minute because I'd been looking so long and I'm looking at it and it eventually like it wasn't too long but opened up into this open vision meaning I saw something with my naked eyes stand stare you know my eyes open and I saw something that you don't see in the natural and it looked like one of those I don't know if you've ever seen a cartoon flip book that you flip the pages and it looks like a cartoon but it's very old school movement It's not the modern kind of cartoons we have. It's like the flip that's slowly moving. And this was a black and white, like flip book cartoon that I'm seeing inside (laughs) of what would be the sun in the sky. And it was like, it opened up to where it was like, that's all my eyes could see was this cartoon. And I just remember seeing at first the father as a lion, like his face, that eyes closed, just kind of like. I don't know, as lions put their heads together, you know, just leaning forward and um, strong and just in my heart, that was the father God. And I remember seeing a a flower opening up and it just was giving me peace to trust the process. Like you don't know what the flower is going to look like when it's a bud, when it's still opening. So um, that there was this process going on, that it's beautiful. The ending is beautiful. And I remember seeing babies in the womb, like on ultrasound, like just flashing as, as this book is being flipped, so to speak. And that giving peace to my heart through the eating disorders, not knowing would I be able to have children, you know, I've hurt my body and yeah, that gave me hope for family. And then I saw two people sitting with their backs toward me in the ocean with wetsuits on. And it looked like it could be my husband, my now husband and I younger sitting in the ocean on surfboards and there are rocks in the water, you know, which kind of remind me of the area we went to school. And that's really all I remember. I could be forgetting something, but I remember as I'm staring and started thinking, am I really seeing this? The moment fear started creeping back in is the moment it gently stopped. And it was like a, I was in shock, like not shock, but like in such an awe state of like the glory of God in that moment that I didn't want to snap out of it. And the counselor happened to be walking by. She's like, are you okay? And I wasn't talking. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to lose that high almost like, you know, I couldn't get it back and was like, oh, wow. Like you're trying to, you know, you want to process. And and I had been fasting and just being in that, like, you know, that state. I, she took me down to the health office at, on campus and 
again, I wasn't talking to the doctor, not making sense. And they ended up taking me to the hospital and the psychiatric ward and getting put on medication to try to try and help me snap out of it. And I don't know when I finally told them what, because by the grace of God, Jessica, I didn't know it was next. That doctor ended up inviting me to live with them in their home with their family and um, probably live with them about six months, if I'm remembering that right. And that was another healing moment of just being with family and being accepted in the midst of this, um, you know, being given a mental ill ill diagnosis, (laughs) Um, but not being shunned but being welcomed in in that moment was so powerful and um to this day those that family is still like family and I'm grateful as hard as that was to know them and yeah it's been a journey my husband has chosen just to walk with me through it and look to God for healing together and look to the Lord just throughout our journey and that's been so powerful he's literally the only one that holds us together because a lot of it doesn't make sense you know Chris and was raised with a lot of what does make sense. <laughs> it's oh. a very beautiful, yeah. Hannah, you know, as you as you describe this, certainly there's an element of of natural explanation, right? There, there's a piece of this that's like, oh my goodness, you know, this is what happens when you don't have food and you don't have water and you're staring at this. And like, there's there's a part of it that's very naturally explained, but there's certainly a part that. I mean, you had to be just sitting there going, okay, where does the natural end and the supernatural begin? And at what, where yeah. do I, which, how do I process all of this? And for so many people who who have a relationship with God or who want to have a relationship with God, they would be very, I think, longing to have such mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, powerful moment. And so I think it's understandable how you could just kind of be on this spiritual high and to think that really from that moment someone sees you and it's like yeah we're gonna take you in and now we're gonna <laughs> diagnose you with a mental illness and put you on meds and yeah. <laughs> I mean and that wasn't something that happened just for a week like mm. so so this yeah. is where you know this leads into this whole kind of chapter of your journey of having this diagnosis and this, these medications that, I mean, how long did that go on for? And at what point did yeah. things turn around for you? And I, and I do want to preface this mm-hmm. with the fact that I firmly believe God works in each story in a unique mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And that there are women I know who have genuine mental health diagnoses and God has provided modern medicine and medication for them. I know others where it's like, there really has kind of been an overnight healing. And I, and I think every woman is different. So I just mm-hmm. sort of preface that cause I, you know, I don't mm-hmm. want anyone to think that there's like this one size fits all, mm-hmm. especially when we're talking about something so uh, profound and so kind of misunderstood, I guess would be a good way to say as, as mental health. So yeah, with that little asterisk there, what happened in your in your journey? Yeah, and I'm I'm still on a journey. I haven't arrived, but I do think that God's word is true and that is our identity. No matter what this world says, our identity will always be in Christ if we've received him as the perfect sacrifice for our sin. You know, by his stripes we are healed, the Bible says. So 
that's our identity, no matter what anyone else tells you. And I think, like you said, that's my firm belief is that you're a child of God. That's your label, you know, and we may have go through storms and be given things by a doctor, but the doctor is doing their best to help. They're not the author of life. They're not the one who gave you your identity. Only God can do that. So I think for me, it doesn't really matter anymore. I think that's been the biggest breakthrough. It's not really what does it look like to the man, but who does God say that I am? That's really all that matters and all that ever will matter. And if I look sane, there's a scripture, I think it might've been Paul that says, if I look sane, it's like, I don't know. I don't know the scripture, Jessica. I should look it up, but it's like for your benefit. Or if I look crazy, it's for God's benefit. Like it doesn't matter because I know who I am in Christ. Like, so that's kind of where I find peace and where I find the end of the story, right? It's like, I am who he says I am, no matter what it looks like on this side of heaven or to man. And yeah. In putting a time frame on this, like how many years ago did you receive that diagnosis? Yeah, that was, I spent my 21st birthday in the psychiatric ward, Wow. Uh, which you just have to laugh, right? That's why <laughs> I laugh. <laughs> it's just, just, the whole thing was funny when most people would be out at, you know, having their first drink or whatever <laughs> at the bar legally, you know, so I was yeah. sitting in the, in the psychiatric ward and Chris is sitting behind beside me. He came to visit me, bless his heart. And he didn't know what to do. <laughs> I remember he cracked open the Bible and started reading. And it was like, we don't know what to do. But he did that. I don't know where he was reading, but it was the sweetest moment <laughs> to see that he's looking to the Lord in this tri- like <laughs> trial. He's looking to the Lord. And like that gives us both and neither of us have an answer. (laughs) And he went off to study abroad, like literally right after that. But it was like, yeah, that was enough. That was enough. No matter where you're at, like that, that was good. And (laughs) that just, okay. Yeah. That's going to make me cry. Just flashing back to, you know, his elementary school self and just thinking, oh, here's this like sweet, I mean, really when you women listening, like if you think of your, your sons or your nephews or your neighbors or your grandsons or, you know, any of these like young boys in your life and just to think, gosh, to, to pray that they would grow up to be men who would do something like that. And one to show up. Absolutely. That was huge. Like that blew my mind too. (laughs) There are so many guys at that age that would have said peace out. Truly. Yeah. And he yeah. not only showed up, but he starts reading the Bible to you. I mean, how, what else do you, how else could you picture this amazing, like young man? Okay. Um, so <laughs> speaking, speaking of Chris, so at what point did you, at what point did you meet him? And then how long did you date and when did you get married? And let's, you know, share a little bit of yeah. your love story. <laughs> yeah. I'm grateful to have met him before the chaos in the sense that he knew me prior to any of like the hospitalization or um, diagnosis in the sense that he knew me, I guess, I don't know. I felt like he knew me. So to have someone that knows you and then you're going through things, it's like, that's a comfort. And I'm just grateful that we were friends for all that time. It wasn't a romantic thing until gosh, um, later on. And he would say, Oh, I liked you, which I always thought he was this out of my league kind of (laughs) guy. So I'd be trying to say, Hey, what about this friend of mine? What about that friend? Like, 
there's no way you'd like me, you know, in my heart. That's my thinking. So he laughs now and's like, why are you trying to pawn me off to all your friends? <laughs> but again, it's like the grace of God, like, but for the grace of God. So we were friends, I'd say three years or so before we started. Like it was like from friendship to right before, believe it or not, after I got out of the hospital, the psychiatric hospital. And then before he left to go abroad to Australia, we both felt like we needed to tell each other we loved each other. And it was like straight from friends to like, I love you. (laughs) And that was such a big moment for both of us to like, at least, yeah, I know he felt like he needed to say it. And at the exact same time, like it was on my heart to tell him that. And I mean, then he left and it was like, okay, (laughs) I just told you I love you. And now I don't know when I'll see you next. But again, just this process of trusting the Lord and learning to trust the Lord. And it um, it sounds a lot like I don't know, like a TV show that that you follow, you know, where it's kind of like the two characters are friends for so long and all of the audience can see that they're meant to be together and you're just waiting for them to finally, you know, figure this out and figure it out at the same time and then have that moment where, okay, they've realized it, they're in love and, oh, but the timing's terrible, right? And then it's, you know, the the season ending cliffhanger and you have to wait until next season to see if they figure this out. <laughs> so off he goes to Australia. Yeah. yeah. And how long was he gone? He was gone about six months and then we both, you know, finished school and he had a lot of thinking to do about me. I'm sure he wasn't diving into anything um, as far as marriage goes, but um, he ended up moving out to Hawaii for his master's. He got a full ride out here to do his master's in meteorology. And it was a childhood dream of mine to come live in Hawaii. Just with, My dad would come to Hawaii with my stepmom and bring back little souvenirs that kind of always got me as a surfer girl, you know, want to be dreaming. I want to move out there someday. I've never visited, you know, but I I just want to move out there. So when Chris came out here for school, I decided to come out after that and just kind of lived on my own and got a job at a preschool, which was totally foreign to me because I was the youngest in my family, how to change diapers or, you know, how to raise kids or help them potty train. I mean, I was learning on the spot, but um, it also felt very comfortable at that preschool because my mom had been a preschool teacher since I was in preschool. That was her job um, raising me. So it felt like this family that I knew and a Christian preschool that was very comforting and they trained me. And So anyway, about a year after we moved out here, so I'd been like dating for seven years before Chris asked me to marry him. And then we got married pretty quick because I, I was like, Chris, if you want to do this, let's do it. If you don't, let's like, let's cut it off. But um, I don't want to mess around. Like just, yeah, it's tough when you're in love and not married. <laughs> <laughs> it was a New Year's Eve wedding. I remember being then, there. Yeah. Kind of circling back a little bit, you know, you've filled us in on, on the love story. and. Now it sort of seems like, all right, you 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 marry this incredible godly man who clearly has shown you dedication to you and and kind of right off into the sunset, literally, like in Hawaii. Okay, you know. <laughs> uh, and as you're starting, you know, this this life as a wife and then desiring to be a mom, but then we sort of circle back to your physical and mental health like at this moment where were you in all of that yeah. and 
in that journey? Were you still on medication? Were you yeah, still on yeah. Was it going yeah. in and out? I know for a lot yeah. of people, it's not a linear journey. It, it can be no. difficult. So yeah. where were you? Let's kind of pick back up yeah. that conversation um, and how that played into your life at, the, at yeah. this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I was still on medication on my wedding day and um, still talking to doctors. And I still am. I still, um, thankfully, I'm able to video call with my doctor and stay accountable and just check in, like, how my emotional health is. And when I take medication, it's because I'm told, like, it'll help you. And I still do. Like, I've tried in my own strength. And I know I'm not going to be the one that delivers myself. (laughs) So I, you know, if my husband says that he thinks I should be taking it or, um, you know, in line with what the doctor says, I am willing to submit to that to save my marriage. That's where I'm at, just so that I'm not kind of out on my own. I don't need that. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. So it is an ongoing journey. Um, but I'm super, I'm just grateful to have the support of friends and um, family, truly. For those who are really tuning in because they identify, they've had a diagnosis. And... <laughs> I know, at least for the women I've spoken with, there are so many of them that receive maybe one diagnosis and then a few years later, well, maybe it's really this, or we're going to add sure. this to the diagnosis. Like, um, if you don't mind sharing, like what, what did the doctor or different doctors over this journey that you've been on, what yep. have they said, what have they diagnosed you with and how have they said it needs to be treated? That first time in the hospital that I shared with you, I was diagnosed bipolar and there really was no like end in sight. I mean, for any mental illness, it's like, here is this is here you go. <laughs> Take this medicine for the rest of your life. It's not like, okay, you're gonna get better. So for me, that kind of uh sit well with me, like this is who you are, this is where you're at the rest of your life, like on multiple levels. So I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. grateful to meet friends that honestly when we moved to Hawaii that discipled us and just told us who said it was like who said that you're sick basically it was like well the doctor said and it's like okay but what does god say like and that just they were the ones that really guided us in that mm-hmm. so um i guess whatever it comes down to i'm like what does god say <laughs> you know because yeah. we all go through life and it's like we're in these bodies but what does god say like till our last breath right like there's a beautiful truth in that, that hopefully every listener hears and and hears correctly. Cause there's a way to take this and I think twist it where you do something unhealthy for yourself. You are a child of God. Everyone who's listening, you, that is your number one, your core identity. You are a child of God. You are who he says you are. And anything else that's a part of your life, your job, uh, health diagnosis, anything you've gone through, like that's part of your story, but that doesn't define who you are. But I love that, you know, you're, that you you're still talk to your doctors, you listen to them, you listen to the wisdom of your husband. That is incredible because it's one thing people can say, well, I, if I'm a child of God, I'm perfectly healed. And so therefore, if I'm diabetic, well, I don't need to take this medicine mm-hmm. or, oh, I have... I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. I don't need counseling. I don't need medicine. I don't need X, Y, and Z, but that your ultimate identity is that you are a child of God. Right. He does still give you wisdom and he does still provide 
doctors and counselors and different life choices and things that can help and uh, you know be a, be a part of these other things that are part of your life but they're not your identity and mm-hmm. so certainly there are people listening who have been diagnosed with a mental illness of some kind that's not your core identity you might you might have that but but ultimately your identity is that you're a child of god right yeah, I heard it once said too. The facts could be what the doctors say. Here's what we see, right? Mm-hmm. Here are the facts. Mm-hmm. But the truth is what never changes, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is the truth. And like you said, the truth being your identity in Christ, and that will never change. Well, we we can't really wrap up this episode without talking at least a little bit about your five beautiful children and your motherhood chapter of your life. So mm. Yeah, fill us in on each of these these five precious little ones and when they arrived and yeah. how that's factored into your yeah. life and especially your journey. As we kind of remember all the way back, you talked about isolation, you talked about eating disorder, you talked about mental health and like, okay, w- how has all of this sort of played out and then, you know, healed or been yeah. for by by God as you became a mom and kind of like goes back to even that vision where you saw these ultrasounds. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back to just like mental illness, that was kind of a death sentence. I mean, they didn't give me hope for a marriage. I mean, they specifically said things against that. (laughs) They specifically said, you know, being a mom would, it was like a death sentence in all those areas. And it just did not like agree with my spirit. It was like, no, this is obviously death. They were speaking over me this is what happens with people with that are diagnosed with this. It was like, mm, what does God say again? <laughs> now we have five young children under the age of seven no, and they're all a gift. So here we are. It's not easy, but <laughs> it's <laughs> and, and truly what, what a gift because that phrase death sentence, I know how many listeners have felt that they've been given mm-hmm. that. Mm. They've been told because of ABC, you cannot ever right. do F. And right. it's, it's very final. All I can say is we we do love and serve a God who can make the impossible possible. That 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 phrase, a death sentence. Mm. I mean, God's in the business of raising the dead to life <laughs> and he it's, took your death yes, sentence yes. and gave it life it gave it five lives <laughs> yeah exactly and so now hannah if you were <laughs> to talk specifically to a listener who has really felt yeah she's been given a death sentence whether that's related to feeling isolated whether it's eating disorders, whether it's mental health, whether it's the the writings on the wall, it's, you know, her, her future set and it's set to whatever somebody told her, this is your only option. This is the only way it's going to be. Any of these other dreams are gone. You can just throw them out. They're impossible. Now here's your death sentence. What would you say to her? I would say dig in that word you know, the word of God until you find him, because it says, seek me and you'll find me. And I think he is the gift, right? Like he is the author. He is the one we want to find. He's the only one that will satisfy. It's the only option, like dig in the word, like it's the only option because there is, like you said, restoration, resurrection, 
hope. I mean, there's life in his words. So that's the only option. Like if when that becomes our only option, we've got the best option. (laughs) We're good. Mm -hmm. Is the answer. Yeah. And I don't know what that looks like in different situations, but he's always the answer. And if he is the word, he's the answer. The word's right there. And and then again, like, what does God say? What does he say? Like, okay, so-and-so said this, whoever it is, professional, has whatever titles, you know, accolades. But okay, what does the Lord say? Because that's the weight right there that will change and bring back to life. He's the one. And you really can't ask him. Ladies listening, you really can't ask God, tell me, speak to me. I, I don't know. I'm stuck. It feels like there are no options. It feels like there are no answers. It feels like there's no way forward. I want to know what you have to say about this. And if I have professionals around me telling me something, I need to know if that's, those are the facts. I need to know if that's the truth also. And, and if it is, give me peace and, and to figure out how to move forward. Uh, but if there's, if there's a miracle that you have in, in mind, <laughs> speak to me. Mm-hmm. And I think too, just getting out of the isolation, like we talked about finding friends that will stand with you mm-hmm. and believe with you. Not that you have to go find them, but ask the Lord for, for support. Yeah. And I'm still asking God for those kinds of people in my life. It's just, it's been so powerful when I've come across people that will share in the faith journey yeah. and you don't feel alone anymore. <laughs> think of too, a healing scripture CD your mom gave me across the street when I was staying <gasps> parents one year it's like just listening to the word mm-hmm. when we have the strength or desire to read it's like just soaking in that mm-hmm. is powerful because it's his words right and mm-hmm. you're listening Jeannie that was awesome <laughs> thank you for that <laughs> she will be I'm pretty sure I have that same cd in uh in this house as well <laughs> I know which one you're talking about yeah well for the women who who do need that you know, accountability partner, that, that friend, that companion, somebody to do life with them. One of the best things we can do for each other is pray for each other. And we we always close our episodes by praying over the listeners. And Hannah, I would love for you to do that tonight. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, thanking you for who you are, God. Thank you created all of this world. You know the solution to every issue. You know every heart listening. And as I'm standing outside, it begins to rain. I just know that you want to bless us more than we want whatever it is we need. You want to give it to us because you're our daddy in heaven. And I just thank you that we can see you rightly, God, and get our eyes off ourselves every day, um, looking to you, Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that we wouldn't look to ourselves, our neighbors, our friends, to compare, Lord, as women, that we would look to you, Jesus, the one who wrote the story, who knows the end from the beginning, and who is um, with us in the midst of every valley or mountain peak. And Lord, I thank you, too, that you say, when we're weak, you're strong. Like, that's not bad in your eyes to show you our weakness or to be weak it's actually um when you're moving the strongest it seems so i just thank you lord that um we can just submit ourselves to you 
um, and that we can find grace and hope and peace and strength um, in our time of need, God. And I just thank you that your grace covers every listener, that we would not even look to our past mistakes and our, you know, what we deserve in the natural, that we'd look to Jesus who took all of our sin, all of our condemnation upon himself, all of our sickness on the cross. You died so we could be healed, Lord, that we could be forgiven. And I thank you that we um, just receive your mercy and your grace, the free gift of righteousness that even when we mess up, we say aloud that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's who I am. It's not what I've done, what I'm, you know, the mistake I made just now. It's my identity's in you. And it's not who other people say that I am, good or bad. My identity's in you. And Lord, I just thank you um, that we're hidden women in you and that um, are found in you as well. And that um, you'd surround all of us here. Uh, with good friends, God, I ask heavenly friends upon every listener that we could um, just know our God-sent friends to walk alongside us with whatever we're going through. And um, how we just look at life from the perspective that you see us, Lord, as this isn't the end. Wherever we are on the journey, um, mountain, peak, or valley, that we're walking with you and it's not finished yet. We're, we're, we're moving forward, Lord. And you're with us. So I just thank you that we see things from an eternal perspective and continue to keep your word before our eyes, Lord. And wherever there is distraction, we just um, thank you and ask you for um, this focus, Lord. And we thank you that your word would speak to us tonight, that we'd all get a word from you, that we could know that you're speaking to our hearts most of all. And that we could also be that friend to someone else um, that's going through something that we could love on them with your love. Lord, and that we'd know how much we're loved, because that's the only way we can ever love others, is knowing how much you love us. So I pray you just plant that in our hearts tonight as we go, whether we're going to sleep or waking up. Um, yeah, just bless every listener and Jessica for her time, God. I just thank you for who you created her to be. And um, just, yeah, bless this podcast in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Hannah. I so appreciate you. And it's been a joy to, you know, watch you kind of, you know, grow up and marry the little boy across the street. <laughs> oh, I still can't. So many memories there. It's it's just it's an it's incredible. Um, I love how God connects all the stories together. I'm grateful to you. You're like a big sister in my eyes. <laughs> a long distance big sister. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll you know, we'll have to come visit Hawaii. <laughs> Please, honestly. Chris we'll is working on like, no, have to. Come stay yeah. with us sometime. <laughs> that would oh, be awesome. Incredible. Well, we we miss seeing you. Thank you so much for taking time to share your story for being a guest on this podcast and and hug all those little ones for me and and please oh, okay. give a big hello to Chris as well. Okay. I hope hopefully he inspired uh, some other some listeners as well just hearing about yeah. his story yeah. through, through you. <laughs> He's going to love listening to this. So. <laughs> <laughs> well of course and ladies thank you for tuning in thank you so much for listening thank you again hannah for sharing your story and ladies we hope you join us next time for our next story good night y'all
the Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.